Good. Come on, you can clap for that. Hey, can I just build on that a little bit more as Vanessa was sharing just about facing difficult circumstances? Just set such a sense, even as we were worshiping, I was kneeling over here in that in that last song. And, and as I was kneeling, I, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I, I need you to do this more. And uh, I was like, okay, I can do that. I can still get down and get up for a little while longer, right? Old knees. And, uh, and, and, and I felt like God says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I need you to do this more. And I'm like, all right. And I, and I had this picture of, uh, of, of, of being in a restaurant and when the server comes and they have something that they need to give to the person next to you and how sometimes you've got to lean back, right, to get out of the way or sometimes you have to lean forward to get out of the way or, or maybe there's situations and circumstances in your home, you're doing a home project, right? You've got multiple, pe- multiple people working. You have to get out of the way so somebody here can get something to somebody there. And I realized what God was saying. No, Fred, I need you to do this more. He wasn't talking about kneeling physically. He was talking about getting out of his way because sometimes my attitude gets in his way. Sometimes how I treat people gets in his way. Sometimes my words get in his way. And as Vanessa was sharing, I just I realized these two things are connected because when we're facing difficult situations or we're having interactions with, with people that are uncomfortable, I don't know about you, but sometimes my initial response and my initial reaction gets in God's way for what he's trying to do in people and in me. And so just before we go into the message, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. If, if you would be so bold, I'm just going to, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I just want to pray. I'm going to pray for myself, but praying for you. If you, if you would be so bold to say, sometimes I know I get in God's way. It could be you're in God's way right now. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. Just stand. I just want to pray. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for people that are standing tonight. Help us to get out of your way with our attitudes, with how we treat people, with the words that we speak, with our thought life. The moments that we fantasize and dream about revenge and retribution, oh God, forgive us. Help us get out of your way. How we treat people that are different than who we are, how we respond to circumstances and situation, even in society that we don't fully understand. God, help us to stay out of your way. Holy Spirit, we know that you are at work and on the move here in the 757. Let us be a people. May we be a church. Those of us that are standing now, help us. This coming week, help us to be out of your way more. To hold our tongue to let a different feeling flow from our heart, to let different dreams rise up in our imagination. Help us to stay out of your way, to have hearts that are on our knees, in your presence, yielded and submitted to your Holy Spirit in every sense and in every way. Come on, in Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. It's good, come on. good, so good.
loving this series that we're in, but you know one of the things that I'm also loving too are these first Saturdays that we've been setting aside this summer. We've got another one coming up next week, and we're really praying as elders as to whether or not that's just going to continue uh, for the foreseeable future, just setting aside that first Saturday every month as a time for uh, just a call for a vow of devotion to Christ for people during the communion moment, and then also just doing a shorter message that's really designed just to uh, inspire faith in your heart to come forward for prayer, and how we've been doing that a couple of times already. Nine different prayer teams throughout the sanctuary, and just have an extended time in worship for you to come and be ministered to, and stories that are beginning to come in. And so we just want to encourage you, if God and one of those weeks has done something in your life that's profound, share that with us. Uh, we're, we'll protect your, uh, your privacy, and, uh, but we want to share those stories because it inspires faith in other people's hearts, right? Tammy Deerberger came and shared just the other week and, and, uh, about what God did for her and their family and the, God, the word that God spoke to her and, 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 and how God moved through the person that was praying for them. We, just, we know more stories like that need to come out. Mackenzie Thomas got touching her shoulder right in the middle of worship last week and healing her shoulder. And so we know that, that God's on the move. And he just don't want to heal our bodies. He wants to heal our hearts. He wants to heal our hearts. So as those stories come, you share them with us. Somebody say born to grow. Born to grow. We've done born to suffer. We've done born to die, which I know you were so encouraged by both of those messages, right? And so let's, we're, we're, gonna, we're doing uh, Born to Grow in this Eden series. I'm going to pick up in verse 4, Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read 4, 4 through 9. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. That specifically means uh, thorns, things that, that, that grow in the wild. These aren't natural things, these are wild things. For, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he made the man, he placed the man he had made. Listen to what it says, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You and I were born to grow. Now we understand this idea of growing on the outside because we're surrounded by a world that grows on the outside. How do you like these pictures here? Look at those three bugs in the upper right-hand corner, right? Pants. Right? As a parent, this is your prayers that this will be the only time you ever get a picture of your children with pants on their head. Because if they're doing this with their older, there are probably other problems at work, right? So to our knowledge, this is the only picture of our children with pants on their head at a party at our house. So many of you have grown up with us here at City Life Church, right? And these were the children that you knew when we came here back in 2007. Now, I've stopped growing out, up, but I'm growing out now, right? We keep growing. We keep growing. But we, you've got pictures of your family that you 
look through through the ages, and, and, and we don't really see it day to day, right? But year over year, spans of time, we realize how, how we dramatically change, how we, how we grow. And, and, and now with, with videos and, and movies that you're taking on your phones, you've got all this just this incredible record of your kids and, and how they grow. And it, and it got me thinking about this message of, of what is it that children need to have present in their life in order for them to grow? You raise your hand, I'll point to you. Give me one of your ideas. What's something that children need to grow? Steve. They need nutrition. Yes, Krispy Kreme donuts, right? <laughs> Fill of nutrition. Shani, sleep. They need lots of sleep. Somebody else, what do children need to grow? They need love. Yes, they do. Somebody else, they need exercise. Somebody else, what do children need to grow? Somebody on the left side over here. Anybody, what do children need to grow? Destiny. They need discipline, especially in the preschool where the kids are, right? Come on. Destiny working with us in the preschool. Anybody over here? Something that children need to grow. Katie Walls, yes. Katie, the magnificent Katie. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. They need to be stimulated. Yes, education, intellectual stimulation, right? Emotional stimulation. Somebody else? Something that children need to grow. Spiritual growth, absolutely. Failure, yes, they do, right? It's why sports or other types of hobbies that require them to learn something that stretch them so they can experience failure. It's an important part of a child's experience. Children need the right things present to grow, but they also need the wrong things to be absent to grow. They need the right things to be present, and they need the wrong things to be absent. We're surrounded by a world where we understand healthy things grow. And that growth comes when the right things are present and when the wrong things are absent. Can you imagine if someone were to create a camera that could take a picture of who you are on the inside? A picture of your character. For some of us, right, years ago, myself included, the picture of my character would have looked a lot like a kid with pants on his head. <laughs> what if the day after you made a vow of devotion to Christ, maybe for some of you that was years ago, what if there was a camera then on that day in that moment and somebody took a snapshot, a Polaroid, printed it out, gave it to you and said, this is the character of Christ as it is formed in you today. Now, what if that's for you has been 10 years, 20 years, maybe 10 months or a few weeks, and someone were to come and take a picture of you again with that same camera of who you are on the inside, the virtues of life, your character, what represents really the essence of who you are, if we had another picture and we could put it beside the first picture, would you look any different? Would you have changed? Right, Because that's one of the things that we do with our children. It's one of the things that we do even for us as adults. We look back and see how we've changed over the years. There should be something inside of us that is transforming and changing over time to become more and more like the character of Christ. 
If someone were to take a picture of who we were on the end, if we've been walking with Christ for 30 years, can we just agree those pictures should look really different? We should have changed. Because growing on the outside, I believe, was always part of God's plan to teach us something deeper in life. I think he created a natural world that grows on the outside, and he put us in it because he wants us to understand that the greater growth is the growth that comes within. Growing on the outside reminds us that we should be growing on the inside because you and I were born to grow. John 3, 1 through 8 There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, and after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, which is referencing natural spirit, natural birth, and of the spirit, which is representing a spiritual birth. Humans can reproduce only human life. This is a carrying forward of a principle set forward in Genesis in the natural world. God said that they would be able to produce after their own kind. So this plant can only produce after its own kind. It's, it's a natural principle, but it's also setting up a spiritual principle. That after Adam and Eve sinned and there was spiritual death, that that carried forward from generation to generation. And it takes a divine intervention to come back and give spiritual birth to you and me. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He's saying, hey, Nicodemus, you understand, even in this natural world, there are things that you can't see with your natural eye, but you understand that they're real and present. And he's saying, so it is with our spiritual journey. See, I believe one of the reasons why God put man in the garden, because it's interesting in chapter two, right? The creation story isn't just chapter one. Chapter two gives us greater detail. He actually creates man before he creates the garden, right? What does he say? Then God planted a garden, right? That verse comes after verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, And now we know in that moment, right, he's also getting ready to create a woman. And that comes later in the story, and that's going to come later in the series. But verse 8, it says, then, then's an important word here, then God planted a garden. He made man, then he made a garden and put man in it. And I think the reason why he put us in a garden is because from the beginning of time, God was trying to say something to you and to me. You were born to grow. I'm putting you in a garden because I'm trying to contextualize one of the greatest responsibilities that you're ever going to have is that just as you're supposed to cultivate the natural world in which you're in, it's so that you will always remember that you're supposed to cultivate the garden of your heart because you and I were born to grow. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, apples, oranges, mango, kiwi, 
That's not, that's not what it says. If your Bible says that, you need to turn it in and get a different one. The Holy Spirit produces all kinds of fruit in our lives. It's a metaphor. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, which means that in the natural world, there's something to be said. Excess is real. You can have too much of something. But when it comes to this kind of fruit, you can never have too much. There is no such thing as excess when it comes to virtue, when it comes to the character of Christ. There is a reason that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to refer to virtues as fruit because the Holy Spirit is trying to connect these New Testament teachings to Old Testament principles is that you and I were born to grow. And we were put in a garden so that we would always be reminded. We were put in a natural world so we would always be reminded something inside of us is supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be nurturing something inside of us. This is part of what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus. He was saying, Nicodemus, one day long ago, you were a child, you were a baby, and yet you grew. You were born into this world, you were born of water, and you grew. Now you're a grown man. You have a matured body. The fact that he was a religious leader, that we can, uh, and, and then through what else we learn about Nicodemus, we know that he was also a man of character, that there were things on the inside of him that had been growing. And Jesus is trying to help him to understand that just as you've grown on the outside and just in your, and even in your, 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 your unregenerated state, right? If you want to understand more about that, you've got to listen to the sermon, Born to Die. You've, you've grown to a degree, but something else has got to happen inside of you that's going to propel your growth even further. See, because even people that have not made a vow of devotion to Christ, there's still virtue in their life. We're not saying that only Christians are virtuous. And unfortunately, oftentimes, people that aren't Christians are more virtuous than us, right? That's all part about us getting out of God's way. But see, when the Holy Spirit comes, when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, then the Spirit of God comes and actually lives inside of us, right? That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. There is an experience, there is an encounter there is something that happens in a human being, even though you've been growing, even though you are fully grown, even though you are an adult, it could be that something has not come alive inside of you yet, and God is saying, that is me, and I want to put my spirit inside of you. And when his spirit is placed inside of us, something is supposed to happen. It is supposed to infuse the rest of us with supernatural ability to grow in virtue that would have otherwise been impossible. It is tragic, speaking of myself, when we look into our own lives and our behaviors and our attitudes and our actions and our lifestyles are no different than anyone else. And the Holy Spirit is there all along and whispering to us, oh, there's so much more. Because you and I were born to grow. Do you ever find it curious that he made Adam and Eve fully grown adults when he created them? He created them adults right away. I just have this idea that there he is up in the heavens. He's about ready to make them. And he's like, maybe we should, 
make them 20-something. We need them to start working right away. And someone said, no, you better not do 20-something. You better do 40-something if you really want them to start to work right away. <laughs> Where's the drummer? I need that rim shot. Right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. God did not make them fully grown because he needed workers. Because God doesn't need anything. He made them fully grown. He made them fully grown because he wanted us to see that even if we're fully grown out here, we might be just getting started in here. He made them fully grown because he did not want the emphasis of the story of creation to be on their maturation and their development on the outside. He made them fully grown and then took them and put them in a garden to contextualize growth and life because he wanted the emphasis and the focus to be what they needed within, something that needed to happen on the inside, which is why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That's the first sermon in the series, Born to Die. So even though they are adults in the story, they are infants in dealing with temptation. You and I are born to grow. If we are devoted followers of Christ, should not the fruit of our life be bigger and sweeter? Because we're supposed to be the Psalm 1 life that is the tree that is planted by the rivers of water of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what Psalm 1's talking about. That our leaves will not wither and whatsoever we do shall prosper, producing fruit in season. There is supposed to be character that is forming up inside of us that is profoundly curious to the rest of the world. So I'm asking you this question. What is growing in the garden of your life? In Genesis 1.28, God gives mankind a command. Be fruitful and multiply. You think he was just talking about having babies? You think he was just talking about growing up in our natural bodies in a natural world? Most certainly not. In fact, whatever part of that command is connected to our natural world, it was again to put us in an environment, in a setting to point us to something deeper. Be fruitful and multiply, he says to us. Because he knows that one day Christ is going to come. He knows that one day redemption is going to be possible. He knows that one day Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world and the Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside of us again. So he puts in place a command that will one day have meaning for us in ways that the world did not understand in ancient times. Be fruitful and multiply. The virtues of Christ growing in us. We have a little book that we give away for free here called Praxis. It's about our discipleship model. Because we believe that you and I were born to grow. And we believe that there are supposed to be virtues that form up inside of us. There are 24, 24 that we list for you. If you don't have a copy of that book, you find someone in a blue shirt, it is free to you. Because we want you, when you wake up tomorrow, to have a plan for how growth can begin in your life. There in Galatians 5, we're just given a small list. There are five great growth lists that we teach in that book. 
five great growth lists in Scripture that list, when you take out the overlap, we've surmised that there are 24 virtues that is the perfect picture of the portrait of the character of Christ. That's what we're reaching for, people. That's what our garden is supposed to be full of, or all the things that we find on that list. 24 virtues should be growing in the garden of our lives. You know, we were at our annual Elam conference back in May, and Ryan and Mae Nicholson were brave enough to allow this old man to uh, ride up with them on my motorcycle. It was the longest trip I've ever taken, and uh, I would not have made it if it were not for them. And so as they were, uh, I just was able to tuck in behind his wheel and just go all the way, right? And, uh, and so Leesburg was kind of our midpoint in going up and going back. And so it was, it was nice in the morning and it was nice in the afternoon, but on the way up and on the way back, it was probably in the 90s. It was sweltering hot. And of course, we've got tons of gear on because we're doing some interstate riding. And so Leesburg was our stop. There was a 7-Eleven right there in Leesburg. It is the best tasting Gatorade you've ever had in your life when you've been riding for that long. And so, so we found a place to park in the shade, and I went in. This was on, on the way up, and, and, uh, and I got these two huge bottles of Gatorade, and, and, uh, and, and I'm drinking it just in line. There's a long line in there. I'm so thirsty. And, and, I, and I get to the counter, and the person asks me a question. I have no idea what they said. Right? They're, they're, they were from uh, their, their country of origin, from a different place, and, and they were, they were, I know they were speaking English, but I could, their accent was so heavy, I literally could, I could not, I was trying so hard. And I'm a little bit tired, right? I'm a little bit dehydrated. And so I know my face, I'm just trying, right? <laughs> and then they started to smile. I was like, I, I, I said, I am so sorry. I, 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 I don't know what you're saying. And so they then said it again. I was like, I got nothing. I got nothing. But usually at some point, your brain adjusts, right? No. And so I said, I don't know what you're saying, but I know I need to buy these two Gatorades. So whatever we need to do to make that happen, I'm going to say yes to that, right? And so then he rang me up, and I was able to get back to the, I was like, you're not going to believe this interaction. That, that I, 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 I could not understand what he was saying. I remember on my first missions trip down in Belize, it was the, the, the summer of 1991, I was there with the church that I was attending then outside of Richmond, and we, were, we, we did a vacation Bible school and a war refugee camp for El Salvadorians, and, and, and we were in the village, and we were going from home to home. They lived in these thatched huts, and, and, and we had an interpreter with us, and somebody that was on our team was trying to have a conversation. They didn't speak Spanish, and this person didn't speak English, and all of a sudden, you could hear the person on our team was speaking really loud and speaking really slow in English, as if that's going to help, Right? And so Pastor Pete, who's the missions pastor, was leading the team. As we were leaving the village, he walked up to this young man and put his, put his arm around him and, and said, uh, um, hey, I so appreciate you trying to you know, strike up a conversation with someone, but I just, I, if I could just help you out here. They don't speak English. They're not deaf, and nor are they stupid. So being really loud and talking really slow is not helping the language barrier, Right? And we're just, we're all, we're all dying in that moment, right? It was so good. This, if you've ever been in a situation where, right, you, you get louder and you get slower, as if somehow that's going to bridge the, the language gap. I, I'm sharing all of this with you for this reason. 
Because we speak the language of humanity. And so oftentimes when Jesus is speaking to us, he's speaking the language of heaven. And we hear what he says to us, and we just don't get it. Because we're born from a different source, a source of sin and a source of brokenness and a source of rebellion. We're born to self. And you and I are never going to fully transform and fully change and really begin to pick up the heavy lifting of the work of cultivating the virtues of Christ, the character of Christ in us, until after we make a vow of devotion to Christ and the Holy Spirit is born inside of us because now we have an interpreter on the inside to help us to understand what he means. You see, because I don't know about you, but speaking for myself, when I get to Matthew 5 and Jesus says, love your enemies, I go, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't understand what that means. I speak human. See, I don't speak Jesus. I need an interpreter. And then as I was digging around in this message over the last few weeks, not only did I begin to realize, come on, as the Holy Spirit just began to whisper to my own heart, not only are these commands, I'm going to give you a few more, it's not just that there's a language barrier between our humanity and what Christ expects of us, but I began to realize that we have a hard time walking in obedience to certain commands because we are virtue deficient. Because virtues fuel my obedience to the commands of Christ. They are, they are like calories for character. And if we are malnourished, we, we do not have what we need to walk. I speak human, so I have a hard time even understanding what he's, it sounds so foreign to me. But even when I begin to understand what he wants me to do, because when, if he's saying to me, love my enemy, it's probably because he has a pretty good idea of a certain person or a certain situation. And then all of a sudden, I begin to understand who he's asking me to love, and then I don't want to do it. See, at first, I don't understand, but at some point, I begin to see there's an interpretive moment in my heart. But even once I understand, the question remains, do I have what it takes to actually love this person that I do not like? And I will not and I cannot unless there are virtues that are present in me that will fuel that obedience and make it possible. So on that list of 24, I just pulled these out. These three, forgiving, peaceful, and merciful. See, because if I'm virtue deficient when it comes to forgiving, if I'm virtue deficient when it comes to being peaceful, if I'm virtue deficient when it comes to being merciful, chances are I'm going to be in God's way. And I'm not going to want to love my enemy. Because you cannot love your enemy with anything in our natural humanity. It takes the character of Christ to walk in obedience to his commands. What about when he says to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, I want you to go, I want you to sell all your possessions, and then I want you to give the money to the poor. You understand, right? He didn't just say go and give your stuff away. He wanted him to do it twice. I want you to sell it all, and then I want, you to get, I, want, right, I want you to get rid of it two times. I want you to sell it, and then I want you to take all that money and give it away. Now, you might say, well, Fred, he's not, 
necessarily going to ask all of us to do that. And I would say to you, you are right. But we must live our lives in such a way that if he were to ever come and say that to us, that we would not speak human, that we would know the language of Christ, and we would be prepared with virtue to walk in obedience to what he calls of us. See, because if you're lacking in the virtue of believing, if you're lacking in the virtue of being principled, if you're lacking in the virtue of being content, you will not have the fuel to walk in obedience to such commands. How about Philippians chapter 2 when he says, think of others, which means everybody is better than yourself. Yeah, that's me with two Gatorades at a 7-Eleven going, I, I don't know what you mean. Right? Because you and I, if we're honest, right, we know that there are people where that comes easy for us because we've seen them. We've, we've watched their lives and we think, you know, yeah, you know, no, they're better than me. But you and I can also agree, especially with those enemies that we just talked about, that there are times where we think, no, well, I'm, no I'm, I'm a little better than they are. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about whether you are or are not better than them. I'm talking about seeing them as someone who's better than you, whether they are or, or not. Because if I do not have the virtue of being humble and being gentle and being kind, then I am virtue deficient, and I will never walk in the fullness of that command. Oh, I got one in here for you if you're single. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Don't be unequally yoked. But he's so cute. <laughs> Did you see him dancing at the wedding in those skinny jeans? Come on. Oh, you don't, you don't understand, Pastor. She treats me like I'm a king. Oh, I know. I know. But there is wisdom in this book that is timeless. You see, the one who made people and has observed the life of every person that's ever lived and has witnessed every marriage that's ever happened, after all of that, from all of that experience, and he is a perfect God, just saying, he comes to humanity and he says, don't do that. Don't do it. Because it's a mistake. Now I know, you might say that's easy for you to say, Pastor, because you're married. But I didn't get married until I was 30. 30. And for some of you, that sounds really old. Because for me back then, it felt really old. Because it felt like I was waiting a long time. 30. But I knew, even then, there was wisdom in this book that every know that God had, you've heard me say this a million times, every time God says no to me, it's because he's protecting me from less. He's saving me from mediocrity because he always has my best interest at heart. I remember those years. I made a vow of devotion to Christ when I was 23. Vanessa and I didn't get married until I was 30. May of 1997, we, married in the, we met in the summer of 96. 
Still remember meeting her in the law firm where, 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 where my mom worked and my mom and my sister, right? Yeah, that's right. My mom and my sister hooked us up. I know. It's not the call you want from your sister, right? But they're feeling sorry for me. It's like, this dude, he's 29. He needs some help. Like, there's this, there's this, there's this young girl, she's, right? And she is. She's a lot younger than I am. Right? She wouldn't want me to say that right now. See how this is a, let me give a commercial break here. It is a points-based system, people, right? I'm trying to, right, you've heard me say that a million times. If you're a husband, it's points, and they reset every 24 hours, right? For them, right, it's like a savings account with an interest rate. But for guys, yeah, no, it resets every day, right? So I just made a deposit into my account, and it's going to be gone tomorrow. Yeah. But I remember walking up those stairs and seeing her for the very first time thinking about it today. I was reading this part of the message. And, and what I would say to you is, I'm glad I waited. And even if it would have taken me, right, I'm just racking them up, right? They're just, <laughs> it's, it's like your utilities meter last week, right? It was just rolling. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm telling you, you, you wait, but waiting's hard. Because it requires the virtue of patience. It requires the virtue of being wise. Because wisdom is just as much about courage to do what you know to be true as it is the knowledge of the wisdom of this book. How about the virtue of being hopeful? It takes hope when you're single and you're waiting. I get it. I get it. But it's not permission to compromise. It is not permission to compromise. How about in Matthew chapter, you're, you're like, no, I don't need it. I know, I've got one more for you, right? Because this is the big one. This is one of our six commands, right? It's part of our, our discipleship model. Matthew 5, 48, be, let's do it in the King James because it just sounds more daunting. Be ye therefore perfect. <laughs> Me and two Gatorades. I got, I don't know what you mean. Be perfect. That's what he calls us to. We're never going to get there, but he wants us to get closer. You cannot get there without the virtues of being authentic, without the virtues of being truthful. Why truthful? Because you've got to be honest about what you're not. If you're ever going to conquer the things that you need to conquer, you've got to have people in your life that you can trust, you can share with your struggles. How about the virtue of being persevering? Does it not take persevering? These are calories for character, people. Calories for character. 24 virtues. If you don't have that book, you get one tonight. We load it up back there, trusting and believing you're going to grab some because you and I were born to grow. We grow when the right things are present and the wrong things are absent. We grow when the right things are present and the wrong things are absent because in that book also talks about 12 pathways. Many people call them spiritual disciplines. You can call them that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we like to call them pathways because they take you somewhere. Because when those activities are in your life, you're making the soil of your soul fertile so virtues can grow. When you pray, when you worship, when you serve, when you're generous, when you walk in the principles of stewardship, all of those 12 pathways, and we need all of them, right? 
It's not multiple choice. It's fill in the blank, and there's a blank for all, all 12 of them. We need all 12 of those pathways in our lives because those are the tools that God has given to us that make the soil of the soul fertile so that virtues can grow inside of us. And we believe in something that, this is another sermon for another time, but if you've walked with us for any amount of time, you've heard us teach on it before. We believe in the principle of displacement. See, because healthy things grow when the right things are present and when the wrong things are absent. But the best way to get the the wrong things absent is to get the right things present. Because when the right things are present, it just begins to push away the things that don't belong. It's amazing how your appetite begins to shift away from the things of this world and on to the things of God when you begin to give your life to the things of God. That's why as a church, we, we know that some of you come in and you've got a lot of stuff in your, in your life that needs to be absent. We don't start with those things. We don't. Because you can try to stop doing some of those things if you want to, but if you don't start the things that you're supposed to do, you're going to run out of energy real quick over here. Oh, but if you just start doing this stuff. I don't care if you go out tonight and drink too much. Still read your Bible tomorrow. See, because this, this is the trick of shame that the devil works in your life. I'm just telling you. This is what he does. He shames you when you make mistakes because he knows the deal. He knows how it works. If he can get you to feel ashamed from doing the things that you're supposed to do, because of the things that you weren't supposed to do that you've done, he knows that he's got you stuck and he's got you trapped. He's got you trapped because you will never have the virtue, the spiritual caloric energy to begin to conquer the stuff in your life that you need to get rid of. I do care about those things that you need to change, but we're not going to start there with you. We're going to start talking with you about the stuff that you need to, to be present. And I'm telling you, because it happened in my life and it's happened in countless other people's lives in this church, the things that are supposed to be absent will begin to disappear. The principle of displacement. If the garden of your life is void of the virtues of Christ, if the garden of your life is overgrown with the weeds of human brokenness, then the activities, what we call pathways, are conspicuously missing. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where there was a certain door jam. We were at my mom's house just this week. My mom still lives. My dad passed away four years ago. My mom still lives in a house where I grew up. And there's a door jam, the, the door that goes into the utility room. It's all worn off now. You really can't see it anymore. But that's where my sister and my little brother, we would go stand when we were growing up, right? Mom or dad would come in and take a ruler of their hand and put it on the top of our head and they'd put a little pencil mark, write our name and our age on it. You got a door jam in your house like that if you got littles, right? We did. Even though we've moved from different houses, we, we, when our kids were in those years, of, we, we, had a door, we had a doorway. They'd go stand in there. We'd put our hand on their head and, right, and you get to, you, sometimes you catch them looking at it, reading the dates and the years and how they would grow. And what, what, what if, what if part of heaven for us is there's a door jam? 
And all the way at the top, beyond where we can even see, there's a name up there, and it's Jesus. Wow, that's, that's really tall. And then God says, hey, come, come, come over here. Maybe it's, maybe it's me, and God would say, hey, look, 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 at the, look at this little mark right here. This was December of 1990 when you made a vow of devotion to Christ. Look at that, look how little, you were so cute. You had your pants on your head. Yeah, and then, then you begin to grow. And, and then there was that one year where your line actually is below the other line, but that's okay, right? Because, are we, right? What, what, what if he has us back up to it? What if, he, what if he walks us over and for all of us and we step up against it right before we step into eternity and we put our head right up against it? Can you imagine? the hand of God resting on the top of our head. He doesn't even need a pencil. He can just write it with his finger. And he just marks the date. And this was us when we entered in. What if every person that's entering into heaven has a mark on the wall? Where is yours going to be? Because I know as I've been writing this sermon, one of the things that's challenged my heart is I know that there's a mark where it would be if I were to breathe my last today. But if I'm here, God willing, for another few decades, I want that mark to climb right on up. It is never going to reach the top because we're still human. But let's get it higher than it is today. Stand with me. The band's going to come. I want us to close out in a song. I know it's already 630 but I just want to linger in this one moment for the Holy Spirit to be able to whisper to your heart because I believe that for some of you here that God wants to talk to you not about something that needs to be absent. I believe that he wants to talk to some people here about some things that need to be present. And even if that language is foreign to you because you haven't read that little book yet, that's okay because God's his own interpreter. And he's going to help you understand exactly what he means. And so, Father, I pray for every person that's in this room tonight. For the garden that they are. For the sacredness of the command that you've given to each of us to be fruitful and multiply. That you want to put some tools into their hands. They're going to help them grow. So that the character of Christ and the virtues of Christ can be more full in them than they ever thought was possible. And in Jesus' name right now, we just say to shame, shut up. Just shut up. That person that's in here right now when you can't stop seeing all the things that you're ashamed of, we just say in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give them the self-control to turn that part of their mind off. And I pray for them right now that you would give them spiritual clarity to see the person that you've called and created them to be. Father, give them a vision even now, even if it's just a glimpse of who they're going to become. Oh, the fullness of the fruit that God wants to see forming up in us.
Holy Spirit, have your way and do your work. Come on, let's worship together. Thank you.